Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Now, Hong Kong has accused Cardinal Joseph Zinn and Cantonese pop singer Dennis Ho of colluding with foreign powers under the country's national security law. In connection with his role in a humanitarian relief fund. On May 11th, Wednesday of this week, Cardinal Joseph Zen, the 90-year-old pro-democracy prelate of Hong Kong, along with four other advocates for democracy in China, were arrested and questioned on accusations that they were colluding with foreign forces. In Rome, the Vatican said it was concerned by news of the arrest, and that it is following the evolution of the situation with extreme attention. On Inside the Vatican this week, we explore why this revered, outspoken defender of human rights and democracy in Hong Kong appears to pose such a grave threat to the Chinese government. On May the 15th, Pope Francis canonized 10 new saints, a mixture of priests, religious, and laity from France, Italy, the Netherlands, and India. Also on the show this week, Pope Francis has canonized 10 new saints, among them St. Titus Bransma, a teacher, writer, and publicist who many journalists are calling Pope Francis to recognize as the patron saint of journalists. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from a very warm, humid Rome, Colin. How warm is warm? Well, it's 31 degrees here, which is about 88 Fahrenheit. That means that it is, well, it's not yet hotter here. It's 82 here, but it will be hotter today, going up to 90. But anyway, summer is upon us for sure. And we've had a very sunny weekend when the Pope presided at the canonizations in St. Peter's Square. Around 50,000 people participated. And we see the city is really so full of tourists, really. So many young people. People have begun to swarm back to Rome like the honeybees. (laughs) Well, I hope to be among them soon. It would be really nice to get there. So, Jerry, for our first story this week, the sudden arrest of Cardinal Zen last Wednesday in Hong Kong sent shockwaves through the world and was widely covered across world news media. So according to the UK-based human rights group Hong Kong Watch, Cardinal Zen and the people arrested with him were brought in for questioning by Chinese authorities. And this was because of their roles as trustees of the 612 or June 12th Humanitarian Relief Fund. That's a fund that provided legal aid and support to people who took part in the pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong starting in 2019. Now, Cardinal Zen has been released on bail, and he's expected to appear in court on May 24th to respond to these allegations that he had threatened national security in China. Jerry, a lot of us might now be familiar because of this story with Cardinal Zen's name. We know he's the 90-year-old jailed by the Chinese government for promoting democracy. But what else should we know about Cardinal Zen and his background, who he is? Well, I've known Cardinal Zen for many years. Mm -hmm. Cardinal Zen is a man who's always lived a very humble lifestyle. I've seen where he lives. He really lives just like an ordinary, simple priest. 
He doesn't go around in robes. And as I said, he's always visited the prisoners in the jail, even after the repression. He continually goes in. When he was come to Rome and he'd meet all the students, Chinese students, and when it was Chinese New Year, he'd give them all a little red envelope with gift in it. And he's an inspiring figure. He was born in Shanghai, and he left Shanghai as a young man, as a novitiate for the Salesian Order. And for people who aren't familiar, what are the Salesians all about? The Salesians are the order founded by Don Bosco, and which specifically does a lot of work among young people. He came out just months before the communists came to power, and before there was a lot of repression in his home city, Shanghai. And he studied in Italy, in Turin, so he speaks Italian fluently. And then he went back and he did a lot of work as a Salesian in Hong Kong. And then he really was a pioneer in the dialogue with the official government-recognized church in China. And he was also very close to the underground church in China. You know, in mainland China, you have about 10 to 12 million Catholics. Roughly half of them belong to the state-recognized church. The other half belonged to the underground church. And John Paul II appointed him because they saw him as the man best suited to lead the Catholic community in Hong Kong after it passed over to China. He became Bishop of Hong Kong in 2002, and he was Bishop of Hong Kong until 2009. He has always been a thorn in the side of the Chinese government as bishop because he saw them while in the handover agreement, the basic law agreed between the United Kingdom and China in 1997 for the handover. It was envisaged there would be two systems that Hong Kong would have its own system respecting its own democratic freedoms, etc., and China would be another, but they would be one country. But Cardinal Zen saw these freedoms being gradually eroded. In the education system, in the media, in the judiciary, in many, many ways. And then in 2013, the same month that Francis was installed as the Bishop of Rome, the official inauguration ceremony, shortly after, Xi Jinping became the president of China. And then from that time on, the pressure became much stronger on Hong Kong and the life of the church in China became much more difficult. Cardinal Sen really didn't trust the Chinese in terms of religious freedom and in terms of democratic freedom. And he spoke publicly about this. Well, and he turned out to be right. He traveled a lot to the United States for example. And he met some of the presidents, he met the prime ministers and the prime minister of Britain, Tony Blair. And he became really a very influential figure when the people of Hong Kong, many of them, saw that the room for democracy was being month by month reduced. They began to take to the streets and you had the protests of 2019. Right. And Zen was a really vocal supporter of this. Many of them were arrested. Some of them were Catholics. And he would visit them in prison. And then when this strong clash happened, and you remember it extended for a long time in Hong Kong, mm -hmm. he and some others, they set up this fund to help the legal defense of those who were arrested or ended up in court, to help also provide medical care, psychological care, support, etc. And they collected a lot of money. He was arrested for collusion with foreign powers. Can you explain what they mean? Which foreign powers and for what? It is under this national security law, 
which Hong Kongers had really protested strongly against its imposition, that now Zen and the five trustees were arrested and will probably be charged. All right. So what's the deal with this national security law? What is it? The national security law is really an extreme form of legislation where anything that is seen as threatening national security becomes a criminal offense, and you can end up from three years in prison to life. So we know that Zen was you know, a really vocal advocate for the democracy protests in Hong Kong on an international scale. He was visiting other countries. Is that the collusion with foreign forces that they're talking about? I, I would say, first of all, that Cardinal Zen was a strong advocate of nonviolence. And I think it's very important for this to be stated clearly. He's always, throughout his ministry, throughout his life, has advocated nonviolence. It seems that what they're looking at now is the money that was collected. Where was it collected? Some money has was collected abroad. What are the sources of the money abroad? But I, I think it goes beyond this, really, Colin, because it's one thing on what the pretext for the arrest is, but it's another thing as what the message is. Mm-hmm. Definitely. The message is really one of intimidation. Mm-hmm. It wants everybody in Hong Kong to know that nobody, no matter how eminent, how old, how peaceful, is above the law. And if China wants, that person can finish, prosecuted, maybe in jail. You mentioned that he is he's eminent, he's old, right? Things that, that people might think would garner some respect. What about his religion? His Christianity, is that at play here? He's, I would say, the best known Christian leader in Asia today, on a par with the famous Cardinal Sin in the Philippines, who led the people's revolt against the dictator Marcus. And to have such a figure who has never, ever advocated violence, who has always insisted on freedom the defense of freedom, the respect for human rights, to have such a person arrested is deeply disturbing. What effect does this kind of message of intimidation that's being sent by the arrest of Cardinal Zen mean for the church in China as a whole? I think you have to distinguish what the church in China is and what the church in Hong Kong has been and to a degree still is. Okay, break it down for me. The church in China has experienced repression since the communists came to power. Freedom is not in the lexicon in terms of what they can do. I mean, today, a a family, a couple who have got a child or two children in China, they cannot have them educated in the Christian faith. They cannot take them to the church under the age of 18. If they do, they will be penalized. That extreme has not yet reached Hong Kong. But many fear that what China is today could well be the situation of the church in Hong Kong tomorrow. So Jerry, you mentioned that there's a lot that remains to be seen about you know what happens next with Cardinal Zen, but what's the reaction from the Vatican been? Well, the, the Vatican was, I think, taken aback like everybody else. Nobody had seen this coming. No, it was really sudden. And after three, four, five hours, they issued a statement, a one-line statement, saying that they were concerned about the situation of Cardinal Zen. And they were following it with, the word was extreme attention, the following the developments. 
Mm-hmm. Cardinal Perolin, he was questioned by journalists and he said, I would like to express my closeness to the cardinal who was freed and treated well. Mm-hmm. He said he was sorry that this had happened, but he hoped it would not interfere in the relations yeah. between the Holy See and China. Which is also interesting in part because, you know, Perlin is the key engineer of the Vatican-China deal. And so these two are sometimes p- portrayed as being at odds with one another. Yes, Cardinal Zen has publicly criticized Cardinal Perlin. He said Cardinal Perlin is f- following the strategy of the Ostpolitik, the policy towards Eastern Europe that was followed by Cardinal Casaroli under Paul VI. And what's the what's the key approach there? That was that even while they were repressing the church, the Vatican still dialogued with the authorities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the whole world is watching now because if somebody of the venerable age, 90 years old, and highly esteemed throughout the world, can get arrested, we don't know what will follow. How can a young Catholic in Hong Kong feel? A young believer, Christian, they cannot speak freely because they risk falling foul of the law. And the national security law is very extensive, covers many areas. It leaves nothing. You cannot challenge the power structure. Right. And I imagine if you're one of those young Catholics in Hong Kong, especially one of these young Catholics who was active in the pro-democracy protests, that you want to feel like the church is on your side. You know, throughout history, the church has been involved in struggles and advocacy to overturn repressive regimes. And today we see this work exemplified in people like Cardinal Zen or even Pope Francis. Um We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about two saints who were named this weekend, who fought for peace and justice, who even sacrificed their lives for an end to oppression, and how they were made saints this weekend. Stay with us. Francis canonized 10 new saints this weekend, and it was the first canonization that we've had in a couple of years, so a really big festive moment for the church. Most of the saints were founders of religious orders, so they had had a very long path to canonization, a lot of research done within their orders. But two of the new saints have particularly come to the fore, St. Titus Bransma and St. Charles de Foucault. So Jerry, can you tell us briefly about those two? Well, Titus came from the Netherlands. He was a priest. He was also a publicist. Many people saw him as a journalist as well, but he was a professor as well, Carmelite. When the Nazis invaded Holland, 1942 imposed laws crashing down on the Jews and wanting the Jews to be excluded from the schools. The Catholic bishops in Holland took a strong stance. They refused it. When they wanted the Catholic press to reproduce the Nazi propaganda. They refused. They asked Father Titus and they guaranteed that he could have a comfortable life if he agreed to publish their propaganda. And he refused and he ended up in prison and he was given a little injection in prison. You know, today, nobody would call the Netherlands, Holland, a very religious country. But his 
memory lives on as part of the heritage of the country. And it got a lot of coverage in this. And so much so that many of the people were saying we should make him a co-patron of journalists because there's St. Francis de Sales as the patron. But of course, there are many candidates to be co-patrons of journalists because we've, sadly, we've had many victims. I mean, we had in Israel last week where a Christian journalist working for Al Jazeera, Shireen, was shot and killed, though it was clearly identified that she was suppressed. There was no doubt about who she was. And many people think she was targeted. And then we saw what happened at the funeral. You know, you, you see these parallels, which are very disturbing. But you see people who are not uh, advocating violence. I mentioned Cardinal Zen earlier. She wasn't advocating violence. Father Titus wasn't advocating. They, they were trying to do their job in a peaceful, honest way, but in a truthful way. Yeah, these people are all truth tellers at their core. There was a petition going around, co-signed by some 60 journalists, many of whom we know, who were asking for Bransma to be named the co-patron of journalists with Francis de Sales. And their argument is basically that Francis de Sales was a preacher, but Titus Bransma was a journalist, a true journalist. And so that's why they think that he would be a great example, as you mentioned, who's really relevant to the situation of, of truth tellers today. So let's talk about this other saint, Charles de Foucault, not a journalist. Uh, tell us a little about him. Well, he was a soldier like Ignatius of Loyola. Mm -hmm. Then he went to Morocco and he, he became very interested in the culture and the situation in Morocco. And then he, he felt the vocation. He became a priest. He went as, to live as a hermit and he thought many people might join him, but nobody joined him. He was there in Algeria, in the desert, with the Berbers and with the Turags, and nobody joined. And in fact, his idea was to bring the gospel to them. And then he became very sick. And they were the ones who helped him not to die. They brought him food, medicines, etc. And then he understood that he was not bringing something to them. They were bringing something to him. And he understood something very fundamental about the dialogue between religions. Then in 1916, he was assassinated. He's become known as the one of the pioneers of dialogue between religions. And he today is an inspiration to so many people. Men's Order has developed as a result of his writings and a women's order, the Sisters of Charles de Foucault. And so uh, uh, these are the extraordinary events in history, uh, very different types of people. And we, we could talk about the other eight that were canonized as well. But what really struck me at this canonization was First of all, the joy on the Pope's face. He was so happy to be with the people. He's obviously still improving. He's, and he, he, went, he went to the cardinals. Uh, he, and he kind of moved very painfully to greet all the cardinals. Oh. And somebody told me that he joked with them and said, mm -hmm. ah, you're preparing for a conclave. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I saw a video of him talking to some seminarians who were in the crowd at the canonization. And they said, you know, how's, how's your knee doing? And he said, you know what I need for my knee is a shot of tequila. <laughs> he was so happy. But I, I was very struck by what he said at the end at the Angelus. He said, while sadly in the world, distances grow and tensions and wars increase, may the new saints inspire solutions of togetherness and ways of dialogue, especially in the hearts of minds of those who hold positions of great responsibility and are called to be agents of peace, not war. 
Jerry, thank you so much for talking to me about these stories today. You're totally right that there is this through line here of the church having these powerful advocates for justice. And I think it's clear to see how that call continues for us today. So I look forward to talking to you again next week about how these stories are continuing. Thank you, Colleen. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn and Ricardo Da Silva. Production assistance from Kira Hanlon. Audio engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. Please consider supporting our work on Inside the Vatican by purchasing a digital subscription to America Magazine. You can do that at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Thanks. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.